Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Yeah, that's good. It's a good day. Uh, and so, no, I am not the pastor. I know what you're thinking. Hey, he got shorter. Uh, no, uh, it's me. Uh, Matt, our pastor's out of town, and he allowed me to jump in uh, for today. And I hope that you've been encouraged and challenged uh, by our Stronger series as we look at marriage, families, relationships, how we as believers should be marked. Uh, and, and hopefully you were encouraged that we didn't go from week one, the perfect marriage, to last week, the next perfect marriage, because there's not one. Uh, and then last week, uh, we had Abraham's family, and you saw all the dysfunction in there. So hopefully you're encouraged, hey, we're not the only ones, right? For some reason, when we see others struggle in the same way we do, we go, okay, it's not that bad. Uh, and so for married couples in particular, I'm going to give you some free marriage advice, something that's really easy that will bless your marriage. Uh, there's a reality TV show called 90 Day Fiance. And uh, if you've ever watched it, it's like a slow motion train wreck that you just can't look away from. You can't. Uh, you can't make some of this stuff up. And so you'll watch it and then you'll look at your spouse and you're like, hey, baby, man, how, how good has God been <laughs> with us? No lie, we're watching it and there's this dude that, that's a lot older than this girl uh, and, and he goes over, because uh, again, they, they get a 90-day visa and if they get married, they can stay. If they don't, oh no, right? So he's over there uh, and he's actually older than her dad. And so you know this is gonna go bad. And so he's, they sit down and they're eating and he cracks a joke. He's like, ah, oh, isn't this funny? I'm a year old than you. And again, nobody laughs uh, <laughs> except for him awkwardly. Uh, and then there was one where the, even the cameraman talks to another guy and he's like, hey, you look nervous. What's going on? And he's like, well, I got I to gotta have a talk uh, with this girl from Russia or something that's over here. And he's like, what's the matter? He's like, well, I'm going to have to tell her I'm not actually a millionaire. Uh, and it's like, how do you think that conversation is going to go? And you look and it's so bad. And again, you go, God, you've been so good uh, to our marriage, our family. Uh, and so if, if reality TV were a thing back in Genesis, last week uh, was the Abraham family season one. Uh, today, we're going to get season two. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 25. Uh, it's the easiest one to find, first book of the Bible right there, uh, chapter 25. So last week you saw Abraham uh, and, and Sarah, and you saw impatience with God's plan. You saw them manipulating and going after good things in a wrong way. Um, and ultimately, God blesses them in spite of them with their son Isaac. Because remember, God had promised Abraham, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. Your lineage, your ancestors are going to be as numerous as the stars or the sand on the sea, if you could count them. And so we're going to see uh, God bless them and throw a couple of twin boys in the mix. And we'll see what happens. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 20. So chapter 25, verse 20. If you've got your Bible, look on. If not, we'll throw it up on the screen. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Beth 
Bethuel, the Aramean of Pedan Aram, basically almost modern day Iraq. He got his, his, got his wife. Uh, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. By the way, that's a good place to go when you need help. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. That's scary. Uh, two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first one came out red, that's scary also, uh, all the body like a hairy cloak, uh, so they called his name Esau, and afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see Isaac, Abraham's son, son of the promise, he's wanting to get married. God gives him a wife at age 40 named Rebekah, but there's a problem right off the bat. And the question is, is God going to be faithful? How's God going to work out his plan that he already said? And so Isaac does the right thing and he, he goes to God in prayer. And did God say yes right away? No. Like you see, I don't know if you caught it, but he was 60 years old when she gave birth, which means for 20 years, Isaac prayed and God said, wait. He said, wait, but he hadn't abandoned Isaac. He, he may have been teaching Isaac uh, to depend on him. He may have been revealing to Isaac, hey, I'm, I'm more concerned with what's going on inside you than what's going on outside you. Either way, God said, wait. So Rebecca finally gets pregnant, as you saw, and there's all sorts of junk going on in there. Like there's more movement than normal, uh, such that she prays. Again, she goes to the right place right off the bat. So she prays to God and he says, by the way, there's two nations inside you. They're going to be at each other. Like I, I know siblings, I have four kids uh, and I know siblings argue, but I didn't know it started this early. So it's going on, but he's like, don't worry. This is what's going to happen. The older is going to serve the younger. There's going to be a stronger one um, uh, and, and a weaker one. And God already from the, the get-go says, hey, I'm going to do things differently. Because normally the firstborn was the leader. Normally the stronger one in that society would lead the family. And God said, I'm going I'm to do it a different way. The older is going to serve the younger. I got this. Trust me. Uh, and then we see the boys grow up. Esau's kind of a manly man. Apparently he's a hairy manly man. Uh, and he's out in the woods. He likes to hunt game. Jacob, maybe he likes to watch TV in the tents. He's hanging around. Uh, he's, he apparently is a chef. He likes to cook. Uh, and we see kind of favoritism already creeping in with mom and dad. You got dad loving Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And that never spells good things. Uh, but I want you to see both of them, when they hit a roadblock, when they hit something hard that they couldn't do, they prayed because God always hears and answers. Like the, we know of Isaac and, and Rebecca, 
Uh, but the world didn't. They were not a superpower. This was not, they weren't over in Egypt at the time. These were nobodies. And God heard and he answered their prayers. And he does the same for you and me. And he will always answer us in the way we would want him to if we knew what he knew. I know it's a lot of words, but God will always answer us in the way, the exact way we would want him to if we knew what he knew. Because I don't know about you, but I'm glad God has said no to some of my prayers uh, in the past. Uh, And so these guys grow up uh, and we see right off the bat we're going to have some conflict. We're going to have some dysfunction. So let's look at verse 29. Once, uh, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted, exclamation point here. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, well, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. He's insistent. <laughs> So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So right off the bat, we get a snapshot of their relationship. Esau's out in the woods. Jacob's sitting around. He's, he's cooking things. Maybe he's a creative type. But, but Esau comes in from the woods, and he didn't pack his snack or his granola bar. Uh, maybe some almonds, those are good, right? He comes in. He's starving. He sees Jacob's cooking some stew. And Jacob's like, sure, I'll let you have some. Just sell me your birthright. And you may be thinking, that's a strange thing to ask for, for a bowl of stew. And you're right. Uh, We don't really have the birthright like they did uh, in their culture. It involved material and spiritual blessings. So if you had the birthright and your firstborn son, uh, when mom and dad pass and the inheritance comes, all your siblings get a portion, but you get a double portion. When it comes to leading the family spiritually, guess who's going to lead? You, because you have the birthright. When it comes to conflict within the family and someone's got to decide who's right, what are we going to do? Guess who decides? It's you for the birthright. And you're like, this is extremely valuable. Why does Jacob right off the bat go, swear to me (laughs) that you're going to sell me your birthright? And even stranger, Esau says yes. Like, that's weird. Uh, But some of it, to to answer the first question, some of it has to do with how siblings work. Uh, And so I got a picture of my family I want to show you on the screen. Uh, That was outdoors. We were very safe last year when we did this. But you look at these kids and you go, man, there's four great kids. They probably never argue. They never complain. Uh, They probably only say holy things uh, and bless you, mom and dad, right? Uh, And so... What you have here is the oldest, Ethan, there in the back, he's, he's always got something that the other three younger ones want. And so he can hold it over their heads and, and he can demand different things and they'll do it because they want to play with this toy or they want to borrow his elite Xbox controller, right? He can do that. It's always the older sibling that has something the younger wants. But sometimes, sometimes Finley get something that her three older brothers want. And that's when the fun starts, 
right? So at Christmas, she got this awesome Razor battery-powered scooter that goes like 15 million miles an hour, and it's so sweet. It's so awesome. Uh, And so she's riding it around, but guess who wants to ride it? Yeah, her brothers. That's right. And so they're like, hey, I want to ride it. Uh, And first thing out of her mouth was, well... And she starts throwing things out. Now, she's very sweet. She's not like Jacob asking for a birthright or anything. She's just like, well, you have to be nice to me for a week. It's like, okay. Uh, I'm like, can you get that in writing? I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but no, she, she throws it out there. And that's what Jacob's doing here. His older brother, who never needs anything, uh, he's out there hunting. He's hungry. He, ha- he has something his brother needs. And so he just throws out their birthright, probably thinking J- Esau's just just going to say no, maybe slap him around and he'll work his way down uh, to maybe um, some wild hog. Maybe he's going to have some pulled pork barbecue later that week. Uh, But to his surprise, Esau says yes. Uh, And so we don't have time to go into why Esau says yes, but apparently his appetites rule him and not the other way around. Uh, And so he says yes. And you ask yourself, was it wrong for Jacob to desire the birthright? No, like it was a good thing. And at this point, Jacob probably already knew what God had said to his parents years ago before they were born that, hey, I'm going to be the one that's leading the family. I'm the one uh, that's going to be in charge that God is going to bring his promises through. Um, However, Jacob chooses to manipulate instead of waiting on God's timing. So fast forward, we're not going to have time to read it all today, but the the Bible is crazy exciting. Uh, And so look at chapter 27 during the week, uh, if you would like to. Uh, But here's another snapshot of their relationship where Isaac is old, he can't see much anymore, and he thinks, hey, I'm going to die. I want to pass on my blessing. He already knew it was supposed to go to Jacob because of what God says. But Isaac calls in Esau and he's like, hey... Why don't you go get me some game? You know I like that. Maybe put a little sauce on it. It'll be great. Uh, I'll co- you'll come back. I'll eat. And then I'll give you my blessing. Well, Rebecca's hearing this from the other room. And so she goes and gets Jacob and says, hey, your brother's gone. Your dad's about to give him the blessing that you're supposed to have. God said it, right? So you're going to pretend to be Esau. And you're going to go in there and, and dad's going to give you the blessing that you were supposed to have. And Jacob puts up uh, an argument, as he should. He's like, "Um, I don't don't know if this is good. Like, what if he realizes it's me and then curses me instead of blesses me? And she's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'll let it fall on me. This is going to be great. Uh, And so she gets uh, Esau's favorite cloak, puts it on Jacob, uh, and then Jacob rightly says, well, what if he touches my arm? You know Esau, he's a hairy guy. They didn't have like hygiene products back then where he could, you know, trim it up a little bit. And so she goes, don't worry, I'll get some goat skin and I'm going to put it on your arms. Again, asking what kind of hair did this guy have that a goat, goat skin feels like this guy's arm. So anyway, she puts goat skin on his naked arm. He goes in, uh, he pretends to be Esau and Isaac is like, hey, your voice, I don't recognize it. Pulls him close, smells Esau's a cloak and and gives him his blessing. And he's like, this is all good. Jacob leaves. And no sooner than Jacob leaves, guess who comes in with with the food and ready for a blessing? Yeah, big brother. So Esau comes in. And again, he feels cheated, wronged. And this is a really big deal. 
and he weeps. This, this hunter guy, this, uh, this manly, hairy, outdoorsman guy comes in and he weeps. Uh, and Jacob finds out that going after the right thing in a wrong way is never right. So he knew that he was supposed to have the blessing, but he didn't trust God. His mom didn't trust God either. Isaac wanted to go against God, and all this shadiness is causing extreme dysfunction in the family because they're going about to get a right thing in a wrong way, but that's never right. Like when I tell students this, when this comes up with them, uh, I help them out because a lot of times they, they know Colossians 3.23, hey, I should work as unto the Lord. So I should do school, listen to the Lord, not to my parents really, or my teachers, and God would want me to have good grades. This is God's will, right? Uh, and so I didn't study for this test, so I'm not going to get a good grade, but I want to do God's will, so I need to cheat. And, and so I'm going to cheat, and then I'm going to get good grades, so that way God is honored by my good grades. And no, like that's not the way to go. That's manipulating and not trusting God to do what he said he would do. Uh, and so, when you look at verse 41, uh, it, is, it is crazy. Like, I'll read it. Look at, look at 27 verse 41. Now Esau hated, his, hated Jacob because of his blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Look at the fallout of all this deception, all these sinful choices. Nobody in this house trusts anybody. Everybody's manipulating. And now you've got Esau going, hey, when dad goes, we're going to mourn. Uh, and then what brings him joy inside his heart is to think about the day when he can kill his brother. Like, this is not good. Like, how many have ever argued with your sibling? yes. Yes. Hey, look at that. Maybe you were a great brother. Uh, never argue. Like, we argue sometimes. We'll get upset. Uh, but hopefully you're not at the point where you're like, I should kill him or her. <laughs> like, that's not good. That's where we are now. And Rebecca, does she pray? No. She comes up with another great plan. She's going to tell Isaac, hey, I don't like these girls. They're dirty around here. I, I want them to get a girl, a good girl, good clean girl, right? From where my family is. Uh, and so he needs to go away, and she tells Jacob, hey, you just go to Uncle Laban for a while. It'll be fine. I'll call you in a little while to come back when your brother's not angry anymore. And so her reasoning is, why should I lose both my sons in the same day? Esau's mad. He's going to go. I don't want him to kill Jacob, and so I'm going to send him away, and it's all going to work out. And how many times when we have sinful choices do we try to cover them up with more sinful choices? It doesn't, doesn't go well. And we don't have time to read it all today, but for the next four chapters, we see the fallout of this. So, so Jacob tries to leave this Esau issue behind and he goes uh, to his relative's house and he's like, I'm just gonna put this behind me. Mom will call, everything will be great. Uh, and what better way to forget about a conflict than to meet a girl? So he, he meets this girl, Rachel, and he's like, man, God is good, I wanna marry her. And so he tells the dad, hey, I'll work for seven years if I can marry Rachel. And so sure enough, he works seven years and then the wedding night happens and he wakes up the next morning and it's not Rachel. This is strange, 
Like, you should be shocked. Yeah, they, they put her older sister Leah in there. And I don't, I don't know how he didn't notice, uh, but it's crazy. They're like, well, we don't do things here that way, son. Uh, we married the older daughter first. And so he's like, well, you, you can still marry Rachel. Just wait a week till after the celebration and you can marry Rachel. Uh, again, this, this would have been the pilot episode for Sister Wives. Like, this is not good. Again, if you're like, the Bible's boring, read it. Read it. This is good. So he marries Leah, he marries Rachel, and then they start having birthing wars. Who can have the most kids? And then they stop having kids, and so they have a, a hand servant that they're like, here, take her for your wife. Sound familiar? Um, and so they start having kids. Uh, all sorts of crazy things happening, but God still, in spite of all that, God still blesses Jacob. And even though Jacob probably uh, had moved on, God finally in chapter 31 says, hey, it's time to go back home. And as soon as he started to head back home, guess what he thought about? Guess who he thought about? Yeah, his big brother, he was going to have to see him. It had been 20 years, and his plan was, I'm just going to avoid it, and it's going to go away. 20 years, and as soon as he started headed towards home, that came up in him. Because avoiding conflict doesn't make it go away. Like, just pretending it's not there, and let me just give it enough time, it doesn't make it go away. It was bothering Jacob for 20 years and avoiding it also, usually the cost is higher than, and longer than you want to wait. And so he starts to come back. Laban chases him. We, we have to get past all that. Uh, and by the way, he's afraid of Esau because when you're avoiding conflict, you also usually assume the worst. And so he's going to come up with a plan to meet his big brother. Look in chapter 32, verse 3. It says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight." Because for 20 years, who had he not heard from? He hadn't heard from mom. Like mom never sent a message that said, hey, everything's okay. Come back home, cook some stew. Everything will be great. That doesn't happen. And so look at verse six. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And if it stopped there, that would have been great. But look what it says next. And there are 400 men with him. Uh, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided his people who were with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, maybe the other camp will escape. And so he comes up with his plan, I'm going to appease Esau, I'm going to send some sheep and some ox, and I'm going to give it to him as a gift, and he's, these gifts are going to lower his anger, and he's going to be fined, and the messengers come back and say, hey, your brother, he's coming to meet you, and he's got 400 dudes with him, it's, it's probably going to work out great. Uh, and so Jacob is scared, and we don't have time to read it, but in these next verses, guess what Jacob finally does? He prays. Praise the Lord. This is the first recorded prayer uh, of Jacob. And, and he's like, hey, God, 
I don't know what to do. And, and really, when all else fails, pray, right? And that's what he should have done at the beginning. But God literally had to place Jacob between a rock and a hard place before he would look up. Maybe God does that with us too. Uh, God's usually on purpose. Uh, and so he sends all these messengers. He sends his family across uh, at night because he knows he's going to meet Jacob the next morning. Look at this. Uh, chapter 32, verse 24. This is strange. Again, he's, he's ready to go. He's left all alone. He sent all his possessions across the river, hoping to appease Esau, hoping to come up with some strategy uh, to get out of here alive. And then in verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. If there wasn't enough in this season of the Abraham family, you got this strange dude that just starts wrestling with him. And, and he's probably thinking, I'm going to die. So he's fighting for his life. They wrestle. If you've ever been in a wrestling match, there's a reason they're timed uh, in the Olympics. There's a reason they're short rounds because you're exhausted. These guys wrestle until the morning. Jacob has no idea who it is. But when you read the passage, it, it looks like it's either an angel or it's God himself wrestling with him. And so I don't know if you know this, but when you wrestle with God, you're not going to win. And so they wrestle all night. Jacob finally realizes this and, and God sees uh, that, that Jacob is finally submitting and Jacob begs for a blessing. And so God does. And he changes his name actually. It's pretty profound. He says, your, your name is no longer Jacob, which had the connotation of being shady, being a trickster. And he says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. That's where we get that name, by the way. One, one translation is one who strives with God and puts God as the object uh, another translation would be God is the subject. God prevails. God strives. God rules. So he changes his name and, and Jacob submits. He finally gives up and his will is broken. And he's like, all right, God. And so question, have you guys ever wrestled with God? Like have you ever had a big financial decision or Maybe there's a relationship you know is not right, but you really want it anyway, and so you're going to wrestle with God. Or maybe you just don't know what to do, and you're like, God, I need you, and you're going back and forth. Here's a tip. Here's really good advice from a professor I had years ago. He said, when wrestling with God, lose as quickly and thoroughly as possible. Like if you find yourself in a battle with God, the best thing you can do is lose quick and lose well. Right? Because he's going to win anyway, and his plan is better than yours anyway. And so here Jacob finally submits. He's ready to meet Esau. Look at chapter 33. Here's our last verses. Chapter 33, they're going to meet. Here's, starting in verse 1. Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph and all in the back. And he himself went before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and he embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And Esau lifted up his eyes, he saw the women and children, and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. 
Not what he expected. So, so Jacob, he places his family behind him. This is one of the first times he's confident. He's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I need to make things right. I, I need forgiveness. Because uh, there's been 20 years of unforgiveness and awkwardness sitting out there. And so he approaches Esau and his men, maybe his army. And what happens? Esau, this woodsman, hairy dude, he's probably still hairy at this point. He just makes a beeline for Jacob and he doesn't put him in a headlock. He just grabs him and he puts his head on his shoulder and they weep. Like he didn't, Jacob didn't know what to do. And remember, he's been assuming the worst for 20 years and especially on this trip back. It never occurred to him that God might have been wrestling with Esau's heart too. Like he never thought maybe God was working in his heart. But then he sees forgiveness brings release and restoration. 20 years he had been avoiding it. And he, he, he could have handled this years ago. He could have, even before he got sent away, he could have said, hey, bro, the, the birthright was a bit much for Stu. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you like meals all week. Uh, or just apologize for his shadiness for trying to steal his father's blessing as if there's anything magical about Isaac's words. It's God's blessing. We just agree with it. Right? Like he should have trusted God. He should have gone back and made things right. But what now he finds release and restoration because of forgiveness. The cost of unforgiveness is high. We should be families and people marked by forgiveness. Like the cost is high. And you and I both know that in our own families, don't we? Like we try to avoid it, we try to come up with our own way, but it doesn't work as well as God's plan, which is ask forgiveness, grant forgiveness. So you may be thinking, Matt, why are we working through all that? What's the point? And I'll tell you, when we proclaim God's word, our heartbeat is that when you walk out of here, God's word bears weight on your life. Like you don't just go, man, that was good, or that was funny, that, that was a good point. No, God's word should shape you. Your life should line up with his word. And so it should affect your marriage, your language, your, your relationships, your finances, the way you treat the waiter later today maybe, the way you treat your friend at school or the workplace tomorrow. And so, question, are you manipulating something and hoping that the ends justify the means? Like, is there something in your life and you're like, I know God wants this or I know this is the right way to go, and you're just thinking, man, there's a temptation to just go the easy route, easy in air quotes, uh, route, and I'm just going to do something I know is wrong, but in the end... It'll all work out and it'll be justified. You're trying to get something good and go about it the wrong way. Like learn from Isaac's family. Learn from Jacob and Esau. Like God's way is better. Like Jacob got the blessing that God would have done anyway. And look at the cost. The cost was 20 years. It was a whole season of family that he missed. And by the way, as far as we can tell from Scripture... He never heard from his mom again. Like her plan to not lose her sons cost her her sons. Going after the right thing in the wrong way isn't right. Number two, are you avoiding anybody in your family? So let me throw this out there and we'll see what pops up in your head. 
family reunion, Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving lunch, and hopefully the Cowboys win. Like who, who popped in your head? Because odds are there's someone in your family, Uncle Joe or Aunt so-and-so or cousin, whoever, and you're like, oh, like maybe this last year, that was one of the good things of COVID. You were like, well, we can't get together this year. Ah, I hate it. COVID. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and if you don't have anybody in your family like that, maybe you're great. At, at seeking peace, pursuing unity, uh, or maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe they're, I don't know, uh, but yeah, if you're avoiding somebody in your family, let's go, let's go make that right. Are you avoiding anybody in your church family? Like, is there a member here? Is there a brother or sister here? Or maybe someone on staff that there's an awkwardness. Like when I say unforgiveness or angst, you go, that's that person. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, I think our staff would agree, like, we're not perfect. Like, there's been many times that I myself has had to apologize to some of you. John knows. <laughs> We've been there. Like, there's sometimes where even we as staff, we have to seek forgiveness and restoration and go, hey, man, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have done that. And we need grace. But your, your brothers and sisters in here need grace too. So if there's someone you're avoiding... Um, Stop. <laughs> like Ephesians 4.32 says, forgiveness is not a suggestion, it's a command. God says, you are to forgive as I forgave you. And so when you forgive somebody, you're not just forgiving them, you're sharing some of God's forgiveness for you and you're giving it to them. Because by the way, that's what the gospel screams is that we didn't deserve it and God's grace sent his son to make a way for us to have peace with him, to have forgiveness of our sins so that if I'm in Christ, I'm in him. And he says, because I've done that for you and you didn't deserve it, I, you need to do that to your brothers and sister. You need to do that to others. Like there should be an umbrella of forgiveness over our lives. Like it should mark our lives because the cost of unforgiveness is high. So let's be families and people who are marked by forgiveness. So I'm going to pray and then I'll let you know, uh, that this afternoon I'll be praying for you that, that you make uh, an awkward phone call uh, or at least try FaceTime or Zoom if you can't meet in person, uh, that you would make that right. Don't wait 20 years to have restoration in your family. Like when we're serious about strengthening families, part of that is this, there, there's gonna be sin, there's gonna be heartache because we're broken and we need grace. Let's be marked by forgiveness.